You're listening to the Cathedral Podcast. To learn more about Cathedral, like service times or how to get connected with a small group, visit wearecathedral.com. Today's message comes from Dr. Glenn Schultz. Uh, It has been an unexplainable honor and privilege to share from God's word with you over these last several weeks. Uh, I I just consider Pastor Mike a a dear friend, and uh, I I know that he and Dean and uh, this church have ministered to my family in a tremendous way over the years, and uh, I I just, Sharon and I just count both of them uh, just some of our closest friends, and it, it is always humbling to stand and preach God's word in a you know, place where God's word is held in such a high esteem. Uh, I do so with fear and trembling because you don't want to go and ever present God's word in a way uh, that it would not uh, be true to who he is. Uh, last week, uh, Pastor Mike gave a very strong message where we saw the importance of building strong families. Uh, he, he went and he showed this biblical model of the family and, and showed us how things work together and how it's so important that that marriage relationship is biblical and raising of children is. And we want to build on that today. But, but I also want to make sure we all understand why we are saying we need strong families. Because sometimes if you're like me, things that we covered in the past, we soon forget. It gets out of our minds and we don't think about them anymore. But uh, it, it, it is also hard to believe that it's been about 10 weeks when Pastor Mike started addressing some issues Uh, that are impacting not just the culture, but our homes and churches. And and when some of these controversial issues were presented, everyone had emotional reactions one way or another because we struggle with these things. And, And as we think about it, Pastor sort of put it in the light of Colossians 2, 8, where Paul says we've got to be on guard and make sure we're not taken captive by false philosophies. And these false philosophies follow human tradition or human thinking and not Christ. And what's especially dangerous when these false philosophies follow human thinking that is patterned after the basic principles of this world. And so we, we looked at everything through that context. I can remember this past week reading an article by Eric Watkins, and he said, when the church is extensively infiltrated by distinctively secular ideas, it is worth taking the time to study those influences. That's why I'm so thankful that we have a pastor Even though they're difficult, hard issues, he's willing to say, we've got to address them. We have to look at them. We have to understand where they are in line with Christianity. 
In fact, the big question that we've tried to answer is this. Are these ideologies compatible with Christianity? Do they line up with scripture? Are they biblical? One of the things you will find, you will find at times Christians that are, you know, they, they accept and they, they don't disagree with some of the critical theory issues. But you will be hard to find a critical theorist who is compatible with Christianity. And, and the reason why is, let's look at their own words. They say that Christianity fosters unsafe ideologies and institutions that perpetuate anti-scientific thought, like there's a designer who put this world into order. <laughs> That's anti-scientific to them. They're intolerant for certain sexual behaviors, parochialism, patriarchy, where the husband is the spiritual leader of the home. They, they are pushing authoritarianism for anyone who does not conform. So see, they are not compatible with Christianity because they say, no, you're part of the problem. And when we looked at this, we were reminded that this started in a war in the heavenlies. And it's that cosmic battle between God and Satan. And what we are confronted with when we look at everything that bombards us in this world, we are confronted with God's truth claims versus Satan's lies. And what happens, God gives us his truth claims, how we're supposed to live our lives. And then Satan comes in and he puts an opposite counterfeit lie before us. And what we have to do, we have to choose, what are we gonna believe? What are we gonna follow? It's the same thing that happened in the garden. God had his truth claim. Satan has his lie. Unfortunately, we know what happened. Adam and Eve chose poorly. They chose to believe Satan's lie and the rest is history. We are all born in sin. We are all facing this dilemma. And we have to keep in mind as we even look at the model of the family, we have to remember that Satan wants to be God so his methodology is he wants to destroy the family, he wants to control the state, and he wants to weaken the church. And what I believe with all my heart is this is the key. Because if he can destroy God's designed, ordained family, he will control the state, and he will weaken the church. Because the family is the foundation to all social institutions. We looked at how some of these ideologies really could be traced all the way back to the Enlightenment. One person has written this. One of the great idealistic hopes of the Enlightenment was that man would finally be free from God and the various biblical ideas that held men captive. That's Satan's strategy trying to convince all of us we're supposed to be autonomous. You be your own God. You need to be free from this oppressive God who has all these biblical guidelines on how you should live your life. And we saw how 
all of the derivatives from the Enlightenment all were aimed at trying to get man to feel this way, to be free from God. One of the things that social justice and wokeness and all these other things deal with is they are anti-family. They want to destroy what God has designed. In fact, Marcus was one of the leaders of the Frankfurt School that sort of brought in the critical theory ideas. Listen to what he says about the family. One of the greatest negative achievements of civilization is the nuclear family. If you're a nuclear family, husband, wife, children, guess what? You're a negative achievement. The family should be replaced by what? By socialized alternative institutions. The family should be controlled by public powers, which is another way of saying, hey, guess what? The state should control everything. And, and in light of all of that, we've got to deal with things. What is going to define us? What is going to be our defining concepts that will help us to live with one another, live with God, love him, and love others as we love ourselves. What, what are we gonna to allow to define our lives? I believe it's got to be the fact that our theology and who we are in Christ, not in man's philosophies, but who are we in Christ must define how we should view and treat other people in the world. And the family is so important. What you have here in this model is Ephesians 5 and 6 in pictorial form. In Corinthians, Paul said, whatever you do in your life, you can only build on one foundation that is worthwhile. And this foundation has already been laid. It was laid at the foundation of the earth and it was laid at the cross. And that foundation, he says, is Jesus Christ. Whatever you build in your life, if it's not built on Jesus Christ, Paul says in Corinthians that guess what? It amounts to wood, hay, and stubble. And you know what wood, hay, and stubble does when it's tried by fire? It burns up. It's gone. It's of no use. It disappears. And if we try to build our homes on anything other than Jesus Christ, all we're going to produce is wood, hay, and stubble. And when the pressures of this world comes, guess what? Our families will disintegrate. They will fall apart. And once we build on Jesus Christ, God's word then becomes an absolute necessity in building a home. We've got to see what God's word says. And scripture says that husbands are to love their wives. That's why the husband is at this position. He's not up here at the top telling everybody what to do. He's a servant leader. And, and it says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. And how much did Christ love the church? He actually gave himself for the church. That's what we have to do as husbands. We exercise biblical authority by supporting our wife, by serving her, 
by giving her everything she needs physically and financially and emotionally, intellectually and most importantly, spiritually, so she can do the work of a wife. That's what exercising biblical authority is. And then scripture says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands in all things. Like the church submits itself to Christ. How does the church submit itself to Christ? It rests on God's word. It obeys God. And wives, you submit not by being under your husband who is telling you what to do. No, you rest on him. You rest on his leadership. And when you do that, you can then focus on the next generation. We've got to make sure we are raising the next generation biblically. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. How and what are we supposed to be doing with our children? There's a big question that is being asked, though, and has been asked for centuries. And that question is simply this. To whom do children belong? Now, now I know when I say that in churches, everybody goes, well, we know who children belong to. They belong to parents. We just had baby dedication, child dedication. We know it belongs to parents. But see, it's one thing to say something. It's another thing to actually believe it. See, you only believe what you live. If you don't live it, you really don't believe it. And it's not enough just to say, oh, children belong to parents. We've got to live as if that's the case. Because there's only two answers to this question. One, which I think is the correct answer is, children belong to parents. But the other one that people will say is, guess what? Children also belong to the village, to society, to the state. One uh, person that I think we all know from his history, his name was Adolf Hitler. He said something that was really remarkable. He, he talks about who children belong to in Germany under his reign. Listen to what he says. The youth of today is ever the people of tomorrow. For this reason, we have set before ourselves the task of inoculating our youth with the spirit of this community of the people at a very early age, at an age when human beings are still unperverted and therefore unspoiled. The Reich or the government, the state, stands and it is building itself up for the future upon its youth, not parents' youth, its youth. And this new Reich will give its youth to no one, but will itself take youth and give to youth its own education and its own upbringing. Hitler says, guess what? Mom and dad, you're responsible for feeding the child's body, what he eats. But the state, we're responsible for feeding the child's soul, how he thinks and how he behaves, what he believes. We've got to understand that. You say, well, that was back in Hitler's day. Well, a few years ago, uh, MSNB hired a new, MSNBC hired a new uh, news anchor, Dr. Melissa Harris Perry, and she went and did a little video to explain herself and listen to what she says. 
We have never invested as much in public education as we should have because we've always had a kind of private notion of children. Your kid is yours and totally your responsibility. We haven't had a very collective notion of these are our children. So part of it, we have to break through our kind of private idea that kids belong to their parents or kids belong to their families and recognize that kids belong to whole communities. Once it is everyone's responsibility and not just the households, then we start making better investments. We've got to break up this idea that guess what? P kids belong to parents. They belong to the state, to the collective society. I've got news for you. God's word says something different. Psalm 127, verse three, it says, children are heritage of the Lord. Uh, they're a gift of the womb. And, and when you see that little phrase, children are heritage of the Lord, I, I, I've done this a couple times in some meetings. Uh, I'll hear a lot of amens to that. And so I'll grab a microphone and I'll go down in the audience and I'll walk up to someone. I said, do you believe your children are a heritage of the Lord? And they'll say, oh, yes, I do. I'll say, well, fine. Then tell me, what is a heritage of the Lord? And they just look at me and they say, uh, my children. In other words, I don't have a clue what it means, but I know it's in the Bible. So I say, amen. Let, let me give you a paraphrase of that, which I think will make it very understandable. Children, our heritage of the Lord can be paraphrased this way. Children, God's homework assignment to parents. Wow, do you understand homework assignments? See, God gave Glenn and Sharon Schultz three homework assignments. And he gave it to these two parents to complete. He didn't give it to the church to raise or, or to the school or, or to the state or the government or to the village. He gave three children to Glenn and Sharon Schultz. We will stand before God and we will be accountable of how we educate or raise our kids. It's critical that we understand this. And one of the things I want you to understand when I use the term education, I'm not talking merely about schooling. Schooling is a huge part of education. I'm talking about the entire process of preparing a child for life and eternity. The three institutions that are involved are the home, the church, and the school. Some people will tell me, wait a minute, Glenn, you need to include the media. The media has a major influence on educating our kids and what they think and what they believe. I will not give the media a special category because I believe it's the home's responsibility to control the media that is influencing our kids. We have to get a hold of that. We don't know what our kids are being impacted by the media. So if I go and say, well, the media is one of the educators of our kids, then parents can always say, well, I, I did my best, but I, I can't control the media. Yes, you can. And you must. We have to get control of that area of our kids' lives. Now, now why is it so important on how we answer that question, who do our children belong to? It's simply because of this. Whoever believes children belong to them, believe that they are responsible for their education 
what they believe and what they think. There was a gubernatorial debate between two candidates up in Virginia about a little over a week ago. And one of the candidates had made the public statement in the debate that he believed that the family, the parents, should have a say in how their kids are educated. The other candidate, Terry McAuliffe, responded with this. He said, I am not going to let parents come into schools and actually take books out and make their own decision. I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. It's not your responsibility. It is ours. We're the government. We're the ones who want our kids to think certain things. So we don't want you coming in and telling us what to think. It was interesting that right after that, the National Association of School Boards sent a letter to the president and said, wanted the Department of Justice to take action to these parents who were coming into school board meetings and saying, we don't want this stuff taught to our kids. And the letter said, we need to treat them as what they really are, domestic terrorists. I want you to understand, Satan wants to destroy your home, your family, my family. And he's going to do it by trying to get the state to believe and get us to accept that they own our children, that they should be educating the next generation. We've got to do something different. In Psalm 78, 1 through 7, there's a tremendous passage of scripture that Psalm 78 is one of my favorites, but it, it goes and says something. And here's what it says. It's talking to fathers. Now I know that we live in a world where there's a lot of single moms who are really struggling, really trying their hardest. And I believe the church has to come behind them and partner with them and help those godly mothers raise their children. But I think we also have to go and make a statement that guess what? God's standard is for men to be in control and take control of your children's education. You have a responsibility as a father to raise your children biblically. And what scripture says here, he says that God has allowed fathers to tell other fathers about God. And then when you get to verse four, five, it says this, for he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers that they should teach their children, that's me, my fathers should teach me, that, the, that they should teach them to their children. I'm supposed to teach them to my children so that that generation to come might know them. So that means my grandchildren. There are four generations listed in this passage. And what we've got to do when we start thinking of raising our children, we've got to break out of the box that we're just raising them. We've got to think multi-generationally. Do you realize when you are teaching your children, you are preparing the next parent, the next grandparent? Do you understand that what you're putting into your child will come out as a parent and grandparent someday. 
Are you preparing your children to be godly parents and grandparents? That's what this passage is saying. And in fact, verse eight says, and don't be like your stubborn fathers who didn't educate their children biblically. So we've got to understand if we're going to go and build strong families, when we look at raising our children, we've got to think multi-generational approach. We've got to understand that we're talking about not just our children, but their children and those uh, grandchildren. In fact, when you go to Joel, and uh, if you ever have trouble finding Joel, just go to Matthew and turn left. Uh, that's the easiest way to find Joel. But when you get there, this small book has one verse that's really powerful. Joel chapter one, verse three says, tell your sons about it and let your sons tell their sons and their sons the next generation. Here again, four generations. See, this is our accountability. This is what we're supposed to be doing. Now, when we think of generations, and I want you to sort of understand what we have going here. Now, if you would, if you have your Bibles or you've got your phone or whatever you look at, go to Joshua chapter 24. I want to tell an account here what happened, and then we're going to look at multi-generational uh, re reality. Joshua, in Joshua 24, they've taken over the promised land. Joshua is getting ready to die, so he brings all the Israelites together. If you could imagine, you're all the Israelites, so he brings them all together. And, and he, he does a fantastic uh, thing to them. He goes and gives them a history lesson. And, and he starts with when the children of Israel were in bondage in Egypt. Just like our lives in Christ started when we were still in bondage to sin. And all of a sudden, Christ, what he did on the cross, brings us out of that bondage. And he tells how God brought the children of Israel out of bondage, how he kept them and preserved them through years of wandering in the wilderness, showed them how they crossed the Jordan River, how they just marched around Jericho and shouted and blew a horn and God let the walls tumble down. He told all that history. And then in verse 14, he says this. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. He gave them an out. He said, listen, if you don't agree with that, I, I want you to choose for yourselves today who you're going to serve. And, and he gave them some choices. He says, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river. In other words, if you like to travel, you can go back to Egypt and serve those false gods. If you don't like to travel, he says, here's what you can do or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. You can just go out in this world. You can find the false gods of this world and go serve them. But then he makes this statement and we've got them all. We've got this statement hung on the wall. But Joshua said, but for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. 
Now, now I, I want you to understand something. <laughs> he didn't say for me and my house, we're going to try to serve the Lord. Because when you put try in there, you leave yourself an out. You leave yourself uh, a possibility of quitting. Because if you just try and try and try and try, but it's not working out. People will even come and support you in quitting. They'll say, oh, my, you tried. Oh, you tried so hard. Oh, I, I don't know how you did it so long. You know what? I, I understand why you're quitting. Joshua says, no, 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 there's no trying here. As for me and my house, not just me, but my whole house, I'm going to take responsible for my family. And my family is going to serve the Lord. Now, what happens when he gives them this choice the people, if you read the account, and I'd encourage you to go home and read Joshua 24, the people say, you know what? We're with you. We're going to serve the Lord all of our days. Oh, we're going to serve him. We're going to follow him just like you. Amen, amen, and amen. And Joshua, sort of humorlessly, humorly, he goes and he says, uh, no, you're not. I know you. You're a stubborn people. You're not going to serve the Lord. Well, well they, that gets them angry and they say, yes, we are. We're going to serve the Lord. He comes back at them a second time and he says, no, you're not. Do you realize how hard it's going to be? He said, they said, we are going to serve him. Now, once he got him to that point, then he says, okay, we're going to make a record of it. We're going to put you on record. And not only are we going to just have you write this record down, but we're going to set up a rock. And you know something about a rock? It never decays. It's there. We're going to set this rock and it's going to be your witness when you walk by. If you don't do this, guess what? This rock will remind you, hey, this is what you promised back then. Why'd you break your word? Now, that's what he said. And then he goes and he dismisses them. And he dies. Now, to find out what happens next... You go to Judges chapter 2, and it says this. When Joshua had dismissed the people, the sons of Israel went each to his inheritance to possess the land. It says the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua, which had seen the great work of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Then Joshua died. Now, here's you've got to understand. We've got a multi-generational thing taking place here. Joshua is the only member of his generation that's alive. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, because back in the, in the earlier books of the Bible, it says that when the nation of Israel, 10 men convinced the whole nation not to follow God and go into the promised land, God made a judgment and he holds to his judgment. And he says that generation, those people 20 years of age and older, they will not go into the promised land. They will die in the wilderness, except for Joshua and Caleb, my friends. So the only two from one whole generation that went into the promised land was Joshua and Caleb. So when it says Joshua died, it means an entire generation was now gone. The elders were the second generation. And it says here that they served the Lord all 
the days of the elder generation. Then it says in verse 10, and there arose a third generation after them who did not know the Lord nor the works of God. Joshua, one generation, the elders, a second generation, and a third generation didn't even know God. Now, I, I want this to be practical. I, I would dare say we probably have some people in here that are of the traditionalist or silent generation. You're 75 years of age and older. Anybody in here like that? Raise your hand, raise your hand. Okay, we got a few. Ma'am, would you come up? We're going to have others too, but we're going to start with the wisdom first. And then we have another generation, baby boomers. How many baby boomers are here? Okay, we got some baby boomers. My goodness, you know what was amazing? All the baby boomers were in last service. Because <laughs> it was the early service, okay? So we got, we got baby boomers. I, I need a baby boomer to come up. Here you go, ma'am. I'll help you. We've got another one of the traditionalists, silent ones here. Oh, amen, if you'll stand right there. I need a, here, here we go. We've got a baby boomer coming up here. Then the next, and, and if you'll come right over here, because we'll have some other people saying, the next generation is Generation X. Any Generation X? I need one Generation X person to come up. If you'll come down next to the lady in blue. Generation X, okay, we've got another one. Boy, men, you know, here we're trying to get some leadership and all these women are volunteering. So Generation X. Then we have the millennials. Any millennials? Can need a millennial to come up. Okay, we've got another millennial. And Generation Z. They're the ones born after 1996. Any come on up. Okay, we, we, we got Generation Z. Now here's the thing I want you to understand. Here in one service, we have one, two, three, four, five generations here. Five generations. Okay? Now that, that's good. But now let's apply this to what we just read. This dear lady would represent Joshua. That's one generation. Okay? The, the next generation, these two ladies represent Joshua. This generation represents the elders. This generation represents a generation that does not know God. Now, now here's what I want you to understand. In Joshua 24, when Joshua was challenging the nation of Israel, probably this number of generations were in the crowd. Joshua's generation, Joshua and Caleb, yeah, they were there. They said they're going to serve the Lord. The elder generation said they were going to. And guess what? The third generation also was there saying, oh, we're going to do it. And the third generation ended up not even knowing God. So I want us to understand how fragile Christianity is not that the church is fragile because the church is built on Christ, but Christianity in a society is fragile. It can only one generation away and we don't even know God. And so when these 
when Joshua challenged the Israelites, the generation that arose that did not know God was probably right there saying amen. Would you give these people a hand? Thank you. So what we've got to understand is that there, there's something going on with the three generations. And I want to explain those three generations to you. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to show you what generation are you in? Are you in the Joshua generation? Are you in the elder generation? Or are you in the third generation? Here's some of the characteristics. The Joshua generation, those people are close friends of God. They know and knew God intimately. Where the elders were just acquaintances with God. They knew a lot about God. Then the third generation were strangers. They were actually ignorant of God. Now I'll show you how this works in scripture. David was a Joshua. David, the scripture says, was a man after God's own heart. His son, Solomon, the next generation, was only an elder. In fact, the scriptures record where Solomon, his wives turned his heart away from following God fully, like his father David. He followed God to a point, but not fully. And then Solomon's son, Rehoboam, he was a stranger. He divided the kingdom. So we've got to understand the, the relationship with God with those two, those three generations. Now let's look at priorities in life. A Joshua person says, you know what? God, you're first. I'm second. Uh, a elder generation says, I'm first, but God's there to help me. But the third generation says, no, it's all me. I do whatever I want. When you look at the areas of my desire in life, if we're in the Joshua generation, what do we desire? We want to know God's will. We, we want to know what does God want for my life? The elder, they seek God's works and they say, what do you think? When you go and look at the third generation, they see self-actualization. What do I think? When you look at direction in life, how, how, do we, how do we live our lives? What gives us direction? A Joshua generation person lives by convictions. They do God's word. But an elder just lives by preferences. We try God's word. And if it's good for us, we'll keep it. If it causes us a little suffering, a little pain, mm -mm, we'll try something else. But that third generation, they live by opinion. They totally ignore God's word. When you look at what we're guided by, the Joshua people are guided by scripture. What's right in God's eyes? Elders are guided by other saints. 
what's right in your eyes. Where another generation is guided by culture, what's right in my eyes. I make that determination. When you view Christianity, Joshua generation, it's a relationship. Christ is not only my savior, but he's my Lord. He's my master. But the elders just see Christianity as a responsibility. Christ is my savior and nothing else. Where the next generation then says religion is Christianity and Christ was just a religious leader, I don't have to follow. What about example? Joshua Christians trust God. Elders just trust Joshua's. Where the next generation just trusts themselves and culture. When you view marriage, the Joshua Christians, they say, guess what? Marriage is an unconditional covenant where I give 100% expect nothing in return. And so does the other person. Where the elder sees it as a 50-50 conditional contract. You give 50%, I give 50%. And guess what? If you don't keep your 50%, then it's over. Where the next generation says, oh, it's just a legal convenience. I expect you to provide all my needs and I don't have to give anything to you. When you even look at the concept of work, Joshua generation, they see work as God's calling. It's a vocation. Elders just see that it's a job that they want God to bless. Where the third generation says job is to something to get ahead so that I can consume more because it's all about me. Parenting. Joshua parents are confident. Why? Because they apply biblical principles in how they raise their kids and they want to raise godly kids. Where elders are hopeful. They're influenced by the Bible. They don't apply them, but they're influenced and they basically just want to raise good Christian kids where that third generation is confused. They ignore biblical principles and they just wanna raise good, happy, successful children. Where are you? I've had to ask myself, where am I? What, what's the problem? Why didn't that elder generation raise a biblical generation like they promised they would? I think you find it in Jeremiah 9, 13 and 14, where the Lord said, because they have abandoned my law, which I put before them and have not obeyed my voice nor walked according to it, but have followed the stubbornness of their heart and the bales. Now listen to this, as their fathers taught them. That third generation that didn't know God followed false gods as their fathers taught them. And I've often asked myself, does that mean that they sat down at the dinner table and these Israelite fathers taught their children about Baal worship? No, I don't think that happened at all. I think the fathers probably took their kids to the temple every week. I think he may have even read the Torah to them once in a while in the house. But guess what? He lived a life that followed Baal give you another example in scripture, Solomon. The words that Solomon said 
to his son. You could even call godly and divine. It's called the book of Proverbs. But his life said something much different to his son. And his son divided the kingdom. See, each of us, we influence the next generation three different ways. You influence them by the content, what you teach. Now, here's the thing I want you to understand. I very seldom run across a Christian parent who says, I want my kids to know truth. Or they'll say, I don't want my kids to know truth. Yes, they do. They want their kids to know the truth of God and God's word. So they tell them the right things. But you also have influence over your children by your communication, how you teach. And your third influence is the outer circle, and that's your conduct, how you live. Now, here's the thing you've got to understand. Our kids are standing out over here. We want our kids to take our content. But guess what? They have to look through our conduct and our communication to get to the content. And here's what happens. If our conduct contradicts the content, 90% or more of the time, our children will reject our content and model our conduct. That's what happened in Jeremiah. We've got to live it first. See, there's a consequence of disobedience. If we as parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, don't raise our children biblically according to God's guidelines, Numbers 14.33, it says, here's what happens. Your children will be shepherds in the wilderness for 40 years and bear the penalty for your acts of unfaithfulness. If we adult generations don't raise our kids biblically, our kids are going to wander in a post-modern, anti-Christian culture maybe for the rest of their lives, bearing the penalty for our acts of unfaithfulness. Child dedication is no just simple process. It's a commitment that we've got to take seriously. But let me tell you, there's a blessing of obedience to God. And that's found in 3 John 4, where the writer says, there is no greater joy than to hear your children walk in truth. I have made many mistakes as a father, my wife as a mother. Our children have made mistakes. They're far from perfect. And when they have sinned, they have had to pay some dire consequences. But I want you to know, I stand here this morning to tell you there is no greater joy to a dad than to see his three children walk in truth. That's what we're doing. And we are faced with all that's going on and we've got to build strong families. So how do we find hope in this chaos? Number one, every adult in here, I challenge you, be a Joshua. Don't be an elder. And definitely, if you're in the generation where you don't know Christ, come to know him quickly and become a Joshua. No matter what generation we're in, we can go to another generation. 
If you're a Joshua, stay true. Don't fail. Second thing to find hope, we must think multi-generationally as we raise our children. Number three, the home, church, and school must unite together to give the next generation a biblical worldview education. It's the only hope. Parents, the home can't do it without the church and even without the school. These are serious days, but you know what? I'm not discouraged. I'm hopeful. Why? Because I serve the God who's in control. When I was, before moving here, I spent nine great years serving the Lord at Sherwood Baptist Church and Christian Academy in Albany, Georgia. Sherwood is more known outside of Albany for what it produced, movies like you know, Facing the Giants, Flywheel, Fireproof, Courageous, that all came out of Sherwood Church. And the reason why they did so much is because of a quote that our pastor, Dr. Michael Katz said over and over again. In fact, he said it so many times, the church's atrium is almost the size of this room. And, and on one wall, the entire wall has his quote in big letters. And, and here is what he lived by, because he believed this so much. He said, whoever wants the next generation the most will get them. I must confess, I have watched for several decades when the world has wanted our children more than Christians wanted them, and they got them. But I'm at the point where I am taking a stand and I am saying no more. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. World, you cannot have my children. You cannot have my grandchildren. The question is, is there anybody else who will stand and say the same thing now? And let's worship. You've been listening to the Cathedral Podcast. If you were encouraged by today's message, leave us a rating and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions about today's message or just want to reach out, send an email to questions at cathedralemail.com. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Have a blessed week.